0: To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and on the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight ever path, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast we shall be looking at the judgment seat of Christ, which is the other kind of eternal judgment, having discussed the first one, the great white throne judgment. Last week, we looked at this judgment in some detail and we noted that it is a judgment that no one should be at. It is the judgment of all who have rebelled against God. It is a judgment of people who did not believe God. It is a judgment of people who refused to accept Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. It is a judgment of people who trusted in their works rather than submit to the grace of God. It is a judgment of people whose names are not written in the book of life we saw that some Christians will unfortunately be at the Great White Throne Judgment because they did not do the will of God. They did not depend on the Holy Spirit. They did not glorify God with the gift that God had given to them. And they were stubborn and disobedient to God. The Great White Throne Judgment will be the final judgment. After the Great White Throne Judgment, God is going to create new heavens and new earth. The people who go to that judgment are sent to Gehenna or hell forever Forever. and then God will create a new heaven and a new earth where peace will reign where a new beginning for everybody who do not go to the great white throne judgment will begin to live a new life the sentence at the great white throne judgment is eternal and it is eternity in hell there is no place like purgatory neither is there anything like reincarnation it is appointed unto man once to die after that is the judgment And once a person has been resurrected, we said earlier that there are going to be two resurrections after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has taken place. resurrection of believers and the resurrection of unbelievers. And they are going to happen at two different times. Anybody who resurrects at the resurrection of the unbeliever will go to the great white throne judgment. Tonight, we want to discuss the second kind of eternal judgment. That is the judgment seat of Christ. Usually, the term judgment seat denotes a tribunal a trial hall, a place of judgment, or in modern terminology, a courtroom. In John chapter 19, verse 13, the Bible tells us that when Pontius Pilate was struggling with listening to the Jews over Jesus, and he knew that it was for envy, but the Jews now said to him, If you don't judge this fellow, we are going to go and report you to Caesar. The Bible says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. So he brought the Lord Jesus to the judgment seat where he could judge him, where he could listen to the accusation against him, and then he could try him and either convict him or free him. So the judgment seat usually is that place, where you bring an accused to accuse him before the judge, and the judge gives the accused an opportunity to defend himself or herself, as the case may be. And then after the judge will decide whether to acquit the person or to convict and sentence the person. In Acts chapter 18, we read about Paul who was brought before a proconsul in Achaia and he was brought to the judgment seat of that proconsul. But before they could even accuse Paul before him, the man dismissed them. In Acts chapter 25, verse 6 to 12, Paul himself sought to go before the judgment seat of Caesar when the Roman governor in that region said that he wanted him to go to Jerusalem and be accused by the Jews. And Paul said, no, I will go to Caesar. And the governor said, no problem. Then to Caesar, you will go. So judgment seats, generally speaking in scripture, are where people are accused, and then they present a defense and it's up to the judge to look at the matter and adjudge whether the fellow is to be acquitted or is to be convicted and then sentenced. Now, we have gone through all of this because we want to enumerate something significant about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not like your regular earthly judgment seat. It's not like a regular court setting. It's not like a tribunal or a trial in that sense. Here, the people who come before the judgment seat of Christ are the righteous people. They stand before the Lord Jesus who sits as judge. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the Bible makes it absolutely clear. It says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, those who walk not after the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. So, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in the Spirit, you are not under condemnation. We are speaking of the people who will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. These are people who are born again, who have walked by the Spirit of God. All those who resurrected at the first resurrection, what we said was the resurrection of believers, and those who were raptured at the coming of Christ, these are the people who will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. They are, however, not going to appear there because they want to face an accusation or come before a judgment of condemnation. Rather, they are coming for a judgment of rewards for their service to God while they were alive on the earth. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 to 12. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I leave, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. At this point, we are going to give an account of our service. This is where people who died as Christians, people who continue to live as Christians at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are then raptured, will meet with the Lord Jesus Christ and will have an opportunity to see their works. So I'm going to explain this as we go further. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. At this judgment seat, only believers are here. There is the one for unbelievers. That is the one that we call the great white throne judgment. Here, before the judgment seat of Christ, the Christians are the ones coming before the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just those who are in ministry who are coming to receive a reward. No, but those who are Christians, those who have served in different capacities. I'm not talking of serving in church. Your secular employment is your place of ministry that God has given you. God has in his plan a purpose for your life. So he sent you to an office so that you can glorify him in that office by your service to him. Now, if you don't understand that, you will think, That is your degree and your abilities that put you in that position. No, it's God that put you in that position. There are people who are far better than you, but they are not in that position. You are there and God wants you to glorify him in that office. That person is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say what it is that he did or did not do when God put him in an office. We read two weeks ago, Matthew 25, 31-46, to where he said, when I come to sit, I'm going to separate the flock. And we said that the flock are the Christians. He will separate the flock, sheep on the right hand, goats on the left hand. The sheep represent those who obeyed him, who did his will, who did what he wanted them to do. The goats represent those who did not do his will, who were stubborn, who acted contrary to Christ, who lived as they liked. It has nothing to do with whether they were pastors in churches or not. It has everything to do with whether they obeyed God and acted as God wanted them to act. At the judgment seat of Christ, when the believers who are resurrected and those who have been raptured appear before him, certain things are going to be looked at. Number one, our motive for service will be judged as well as our action. So it's not just the act. But the motive, why did he do it? Why did this man do what he did? In first Peter chapter five from verse one to four, it says, the elders who are among you, I exhort talking about pastors actually. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly. So the question is, were you forced to serve or did you serve willingly? These are some questions that you will have to answer. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Did you serve because you were looking for money, because you had no income and you felt that, well, if I become a pastor, at least I will get the tithes and the offerings of the people who come. Was that why you became a pastor? In verse says, nor as been lords over those entrusted to you. Were you lording it over people? these are the things that will be checked. But being examples to the flock, were you an example to the flock? What did your flock see? What did they follow? In verse 4 it says, and when the chief shepherd appears at the judgment seat, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. We are going to discuss this by the grace of God next week. The rewards that is. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God had sent Saul the king to go and destroy the Amalekites. Completely destroy them. Kill everybody, kill their animals, destroy everything. Then Saul went and the Bible says that he saved the fat of the flock and even saved Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive. And when Samuel came to see King Saul and asked, So how far? King Saul said to Samuel, Oh, I have done all that the Lord had asked me to do. And Samuel asked Saul, Then what is the meaning of this bleating, the sound of sheep, of goats, bleating that I'm hearing? He said, Oh, we kept the fat one so that we can give offering to God. And Samuel gave his verdict. Verse 22 and 23. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Actually, when we read the Old Testament, we see illustrations of eternal judgment. That is the judgment seat of Christ. We see how God judges his own children, not to talk of the unbelievers. So we have a picture of eternal judgment. We see that Saul's motive was judged and found to be as the sin of witchcraft and as the sin of idolatry. What was it that he did? He brought the fat flock that he might bring an offering before God. But don't forget that he was going to eat out of that offering. He was going to take some. So his motive was wrong. And God saw his motive and said, this is your act of disobedience. is witchcraft. And the thing that you have done is iniquity and idolatry. There are many people who think that they can buy God's favor. Who think that by taking money to church and giving money to a pastor, they will escape the judgment of Christ? They will not. The motive for your giving will be judged. The motive for those offerings will be judged. The motive for your service will be judged. The motive for your praying will be judged. The motive for your fasting will be judged. Another thing that will be judged are our thoughts and our tongue. That is our speech. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking here says, But I say to you that for every idle word, an idle word is a word that was spoken without thinking, a thoughtless word, that's what it means, a casual word. You were not in a place where you were thinking of what to say. You just said it casually. It says every one of those kind of words will be judged. That is to say that it is not just the important words that's going to be judged, but the careless, reckless statements that we are making. It says they'll be judged. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. So your thoughts, what you are thinking, you speak out most times and your tongue will be judged. In James chapter three, there's a warning to those who are in ministry. It says, my brethren, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. There is a judgment that is very strict on teachers. And then he goes on to speak about why the teachers will be judged in a stricter manner. And he uses the tongue and says the tongue is an unruly member of the body. It can set an entire nation on fire. We've seen it, how words were spoken and an entire nation is put on edge. Many Christians are on social media and they're not watching their tongue on social media. They're not watching what they are posting. They're not watching what they are sharing. They're not even able to confirm that something is true before they share or post. The Bible says the tongue will be judged. All those things that we are writing will be judged. The motive for writing will be judged. The writing itself will be judged. That is why when we come to Christ, God gives us his spirit and we see the manifestation as we speak in tongues. He takes over the tongue because the tongue is an unruly member. No one can control it except the spirit of God, which is why he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us in our infirmities. For we know not how to ask or what we won't ask for. But as we pray in the spirit, we are praying the will of God. And God does not want us to utter careless words. because. He knows that he will judge every reckless word, every careless word, every single word will be judged. Another thing that will be judged will be our obedience. We're going to have to answer questions like, was your obedience complete? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So all those who would find themselves at the great white throne judgment would have been judged at the judgment seat of Christ but they are moved there are people who will come to our judgment to say but we did this but they say get away from here i didn't know you because you did what i did not ask you to do yes you preached but i didn't ask you to preach you cast out demons but i didn't ask you to cast out demons you did signs and wonders but i didn't ask you to do that in Acts chapter 16 the bible tells us about how Saul of Tarsus after they had finished in the Galatian coast, they wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit refused them to go. They wanted to go down towards Ephesus. The Holy Spirit refused them to go. And then that night, Saul of Tarsus had a dream. He saw a man clothed in Macedonian attire, beckoning to him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Surmising that the Holy Spirit was asking them to go there, they took sheep and they went. Was it that there were no people to preach to in Bithynia? No, there were people. Was it that they couldn't go to Ephesus? No, they could go. However, Bithynia was not the place for Saul. Ephesus was not the place for him at that time. Macedonia was the place to go to. So obedience is going to be tested. Was it complete or incomplete? By the way, incomplete obedience is actually disobedience. Also, was your obedience prompt? Let me read Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 3. Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, the next day, promptly, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham's obedience was prompt. If you watch the dramatized version of the Bible, you will see how Abraham was struggling. The Bible doesn't show that. He didn't struggle. His obedience was prompt. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that when God told Noah that he was going to destroy the earth and that he should build an ark, he moved quickly with reverential fear. His obedience was prompt. Many of us have delayed obedience. When we know that God has said we should do something, then we start dilly we start procrastinating. Those things will be judged because delayed obedience is actually an act of disobedience. Then we're going to be judged as to whether we obey wholeheartedly or half-heartedly. In second Chronicles, the story is told of the king, King Amaziah, verse one to two. It says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoaden of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. The old King James says, not with a perfect heart. In other words, his fellowship or relationship with God was half-hearted. Let me just read a little portion from verse 14. Amaziah went to war against a massive Edomite army, and he gained victory. In verse 14, the Bible says, Now it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense on them. So you can see that Amaziah's fellowship with God was half-hearted. The moment he saw something that was like an alternative, he dove into it. There are many of us who are serving God half-heartedly. We're not serving whole-heartedly. The judgment will be passed there. In fact. A lot of people would have gone through this judgment before the issue of rewards are discussed. This is where they will kick so many people out of the place and say, well, sorry, your name is not in the book of life. Go to where you are going to be judged, which is the great white throne judgment. Here, they will check. Did you serve who had a day or not? In verse 15 says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? So it was, as he talked with him, that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Cease! Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. Are you serving God half-heartedly? Think again. All those half-hearted service, we grudgingly go to church, we grudgingly do Bible study, we grudgingly give. When Paul was writing, he said we should give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. We should give willingly, not by compulsion. So all those things that we are doing, we struggle, we grumble to give to God, we grumble to serve God, we are going to be judged. Again. God is interested in people who will obey Him promptly, who will obey Him wholeheartedly, who will obey Him completely. They are talking of each act of obedience. Each one will be judged in this manner. This act of obedience, was it complete? Was it done promptly? Was it done wholeheartedly? Then they'll bring another one. This is an interesting judgment list. May God help all of us. We all need the mercy of God because at the end of the day, you discover that no one can be spared here. No one will be spared here because we are all guilty of one thing or the other at some point in time. Then we're going to be judged as to how we serve how did you serve God? Did you serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit? Remember I told you that the Holy Spirit is given. is a resource. So did you use the resource of heaven as you ought to? Or did you do things on your own? In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 to 2, the sons of Aaron had been ordained as priests and they were to burn incense. Let me read from verse 1 and look at what they did. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Sometimes we represent those people as fire. And there are people with strange fire on their altar. They are preaching, they are working miracles, signs and wonders, but it's not by the Holy Spirit. It's by some strange divination. There are some people who are proclaiming that they're prophesying in the name of God, but they are prophesying using some strange spirit. How are you doing the work of God? How are you serving God? Are you serving God in the power of the Holy Ghost? Are you serving God by the Holy Spirit? He was given in Acts chapter 2. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He said, make sure that you tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. And in Acts chapter 2, they remained in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And they were filled. The church was birthed. And Peter preached on that day. And 3,000 souls were won. And thus began the ministry of Christ after he had left through his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John went to Samaria, after Philip had preached in Samaria and people had been warned to the Christ, but none had received the Holy Ghost. They went there to pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost. And there was this Simon the sorcerer who had gone through what you can call baptismal class. He was baptized. He was walking with Philip. You could call him a worker in the house of God or even a minister ministering along with Philip. But when he saw that through the laying on of hands, people were speaking in tongues, prophesying, and power was being released, he offered money to Peter and John. They told him, your money perish with you. You think you can buy the gift of God with money? Brethren, we are to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our power. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 9, the B part, The Bible says, "For by strength shall no man prevail. By your flesh, by your own strength, you cannot prevail. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you prevail. Your preaching must be in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your assignment in your secular work must be by the Holy Spirit. If you are serving God by the Spirit of God in your secular work, you cannot be tempted to take a bribe. And if that temptation were to come, the Holy Spirit is there. Say, what are you trying to do? If you are serving God in the Spirit." You cannot be falsifying figures as an accountant or as a banker wherever you are working and expect that you are going to heaven. You will not get there. Secondly, besides serving in the Holy Spirit, another question is, did you serve by faith? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14 verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever assignment you are doing, that is not of faith is sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the just shall live by faith. Those who are born again, those who are justified through Christ, they shall live, they shall work, they shall serve by faith. The judgment that we are going to face is a judgment that will be attended by fire. In 1st Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 12 to verse 15. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, That is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So this is what is going to happen. We are born again. We're serving the law. Everything we did as born again children of God. Don't forget that when we became born again, the books were all canceled. What is important now are our works. I must explain this to us. You are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift that God gives us. However, after you have been saved by grace through faith, You must now do the works of faith. You must now do good works. We mentioned this one. We're talking about repentance from dead works. You are saved to do good works, not dead works. And so our works will be judged. And look at the similes that are used to judge the kind of works that will be judged. The work of gold. The work of silver. The work of precious stones. The work of wood. The work of hay. And the work of straw. So you can imagine when fire is set. What are the things that are going to go up in flames? Straw. Hey, and would incomplete obedience fall into the category of things that were burnt up. Delayed obedience, procrastination will be burnt up. Half-hearted service will be burnt up. Idle words will be burnt up. Wrong motives will be burnt. So all our works will be put in that fire. We ourselves, along with our works, as though we are going through fire. Everything we have done, some people's works can be as massive as a continent. Maybe they did a lot of evangelism and won so many souls. The motive for those crusades will not be judged. Was it for popularity? The fire will destroy because that's wood, that's hay, that's straw. Was it because there's going to be a lot of money? It will be destroyed. So regardless of the fact that this fellow won souls, the motive for the winning of souls disqualified the winning of souls as a reward for him. God is going to check all of this, and then he will pass judgment. The story is told of a man who had just been born again, and on his deathbed, he began to agonize. And they were asking, what is wrong with you? What is going on? Are you feeling pain? He said, it's not that. that. He's just looking at his life. See when he's coming to give his life to Christ. And look at him now on his deathbed. He's about to die. Is he going to go like this? Not one soul with which to greet the Lord. Not one thing that he has done for the Lord. He agonized. He died. But I tell you that that fellow, you'll be shocked that he will receive a reward in heaven. Why did I say so? Somebody wrote a hymn on account of his agonizing on his deathbed. Must I go an empty handed? Must I meet my Savior soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? And a lot of people listening to that hymn have turned and walked with God. Those things are works of gold. They will mark that fellow. It will be strange, actually, to find anybody in heaven without a reward. Because it means that fellow either maybe just got born again and died and nobody spoke anything about him. When we discuss rewards, we're going to also look at the criteria that will be used. It's not the way we do things. Heaven's criteria is different, and we're going to discuss that. So it's important to recognize that there are works of gold and works of wood, things that can easily be destroyed by fire, and things that will stay stronger. In Second Timothy chapter 2, the Bible tells us in verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, from the latter, from iniquity, and so on and so forth. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So, in a great house, the house of God, there are vessels of gold and silver. You have vessels of wood and clay. Sometimes, some vessels of gold and silver actually become vessels unto dishonor. Sometimes, some vessels of clay can actually become vessels unto honor because God is able to make the fire not to burn those vessels because their works are comparable to works of gold. In first Peter chapter one verse seven, Peter was writing about trials. Let me read from verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. That is, you have been welcomed into the family of God and you have rewards waiting for you in heaven. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. This is why trials have come. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of jesus christ so these things are going to be put in the fire and as they come out shining that is the value of your work and the weight of the reward you are going to receive from god anything that is burnt gets no reward people will cry people will lament people will be wondering how did i lose this kind of thing but the good news is that no one who appears here, who passes through that fire, will go to hell. If you don't pass through the fire, you are not going to heaven. Anybody who passes through that fire is going to heaven. So at the judgment seat of Christ, when you are presented, means your name is in the book of life. Your works are presented along with you. Fire begins to burn. Some people, their works will be totally burned up, No work to show, nothing to show. They will enter. It is as though they themselves were tried by that fire and they got in by fire. So you may have no reward, but you'll be in heaven. However, you'll feel sorrowful. Eventually, God will come and wipe away all tears and there'll be no more But People will be sorrowful. People will regret. Those who are playing church now, they will regret if they get to heaven. They will regret it. That what? You will see people the same way. Remember, we talked about rankings in hell. There'll be rankings in heaven. There are people who sit closest to Christ. There are people who will be far, far away from him. Each man's work will speak of what sort it is. Let me conclude at this point in time by saying from all that we've spoken of here, Christianity's end game is not car ownership, is not house ownership, is not marriage, is not children, is not that job, is not that position. Everything you get on the earth as a Christian is a resource to be used to the glory of God. The Bible tells us in First Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 to 19. That those who are rich in this world should not be haughty or put their trust in riches. But their trust should be in God. They should rather use their wealth to buy for themselves as it were eternal life. By doing good, by distributing, by giving to the poor, by giving to the needy. Those people who are always giving to pastor. The motive for giving to pastor is checked. Because your pastor told you. That when you give to a pastor, you will be blessed. Even that pastor's statement is a wrong motive. It will burn in fire. Those gifts that you are giving to a pastor will burn in fire because there are poor people in that same congregation and you have not looked at them to help anyone of Those Christians who, because they always want to take a court from jobs, are giving jobs to non-Christians when their Christian brothers are there, you'll be judged. All those works will burn up in fire if you get to heaven. So the end game is not about those things. That is why people are critical of the prosperity gospel because it is not the gospel of Christ. It doesn't speak of the end game, which is the judgment seat of Christ. If you don't appear there, it's over for you. If you appear there and by the time they throw all your works in, it's completely burnt up. Yes, you'll be in heaven, but the kind of sorrow that you will have. Christianity is not about having all your problems solved. Some people think that Christianity is about when you come to Christ, all your problems will solved. That is not Christianity. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 to 3, this is Moses speaking to children of Israel. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your problems may have come because God wants to prove whether you do his will or not, in spite of the problem. I've heard people say, how can you preach the gospel when there's no money? You'll be tested though. There are people who have preached the gospel without money. There are people who have trekked and preached without money. They preach not expecting any return, even though God blessed them. They did not preach because they were expecting return. Those pastors who are keeping girlfriends, I can assure those pastors that they're not even coming near this place. They're only coming here to hear depart, you workers of iniquity. They're not coming here for rewards. So they're coming here. To hear from the Lord himself that you are going to hell because you are keeping up. You are going to hell because you like those young girls sitting in front for whatever reason. He will say, get away from here. You walk out of iniquity. You are preaching a social gospel because you want people to like you. Be careful. Christianity is not about having all your problems solved. Some problems are brought to strengthen you. They are brought to prove who you are, whether you will obey God or not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul was writing, I read from verse 24. He says, do you not know? That those who run in a race, all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That is the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, is disciplined. There are no excesses. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. He's talking of sportsmen. There are sometimes when sportsmen will leave their families to go for training. They are temperate. There are parties they won't attend. When they are training. They don't drink wine. They don't do so many things when they are training. It says now they do it to obtain a crown that perishes. In those days, the Olympics was just basically a wreath that perishes. Just a wreath woven with palm. They place over the head of the winner. That was it. But we for an imperishable crown. We're going to discuss these things by the grace of God next week or the week after. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus. Paul is writing. This is how I run not with uncertainty, those I find, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or reprobate. Brethren, you can preach the gospel and go to hell. Paul says, I had to discipline my body. You see, this body of ours, what we call the flesh, the human nature that loves to sin, that delights to sin, it will send many people to hell. It is that nature that loves fame, that loves money. It is that nature that wants to boast that it has wealth, that it has private jet, that it has car, it has yacht, it has this, it has that. Things that perish with the using, that you cannot take to heaven. I discipline myself, lest I be disqualified. We need to understand that Christianity is about endurance, humility, holiness, and the likes. Let me close with this. Reading, I read really rather lengthy the scripture second Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 to 15 you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ you're a soldier no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier and also if anyone competes in athletics, He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. This is my prayer for you. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not changed. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus for eternal glory. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I sanctify myself for their sakes, for the sake of the disciples. What have you given up for the sake of Christ? If you haven't given up anything, I'm not so sure you are going to be at this judgment seat. Verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. I'm reminding you now of this thing. Charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Let's leave all these debates. Verse 15, the final verse. Be diligent to present yourself, approve to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Brethren, I want to plead with you. If you have been playing with your Christianity, get serious with God. Motives are going to be judged. Your obedience is going to be judged. Your thoughts and your tongue will be judged. How you served will be judged. Did you serve in the Holy Ghost? Were you serving by faith? They will be judged. And the Bible says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, where will the unbelievers appear? If you are not born again, I'm using this opportunity to plead with you. You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot pay the price for sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for sin. He died on the cross for your sake for my sake, for everybody's sake. And all that is needed is your acceptance that he died for you. That's all that you need to do. The rest, he will fill in. And once you accept that, he gives you his spirit, you become born again, that is born anew, born of the spirit of God. And he takes you through the scriptures to teach you the word of God, to teach you how you can serve him acceptably so that you can stand to receive rewards from him. God wants to give rewards and he wants us to know that we ought to serve. One of the reasons that we're teaching this is to warn all of us who are Christians, who claim we are Christians, that there's the likelihood that we can actually be thrown out. God forbid that happen to anyone. So let's brace up. Let's begin to serve the Lord as we ought to serve Him. By the grace of God, next week, we shall be discussing the criteria for rewards. And if possible, the rewards themselves. If not, we'll discuss the rewards the following week. God bless you.